Good morning, everybody. Can I just say thank you? Thank you for you choosing to spend the first morning of the first day of the week here together in worship. Amen? I can't think of a better way to start. So, hey, to our guests, my name is Brian. I'm our lead pastor, and we're glad you're here today, but we just wish that you would just take the guest title away and say maybe by the time you leave, you feel like you're family because we are all family in Christ, right? So... I actually, well, let me, let me talk about this first. To our guests, this worship guide when you walked in the door is kind of important, big things going on in the church, but on the back, we're going to go into God's Word together, and on the back, there's an outline here that you can follow along with. To our guests, this Connect card uh, is really important. We would love you to fill it out. You can drop it in a box here when you leave today, but we would just love to connect with you and uh, make sure we can share whatever we want about about God's church here, and uh, so that's exciting. Those online, we want to welcome you. You know what? The way our cameras work, they don't know you're here. <laughs> so on average, we have 30 to 40 people watching us online, deployed individuals, things like that. Would you cheer really loud to let them know that, that you're here? Let them know that you care about them? Hey. <laughs> That's awesome. So those online, we love you. We're glad you're with us today. Uh, look forward to when you can be back with us in person too. I think Lene was right, our worship leader. I think... Um, I think I can feel a little heaviness in this crowd today, so I just think everybody needs a hug. Would you stand up and just make sure everybody here feels welcome? Stand up, come on. You extroverts go to town. Introverts, you're gonna freak out for a little while. <laughs> Let's make sure everybody feels at home here before we start. All right, all right, let's get back together. Extroverts are like going, no, we need more time. Introverts are saying, that was way too long, way too long. I hope online you were all hugging in the living room or in your office or wherever you are today. Let's see here. Um, we're on a series called The Way. Uh, this is a Lenten journey through the season. There are about six, seven weeks where we talk about this main scripture. This main scripture we talked about just a little bit earlier today, John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. So this whole series is like, this is like, there's so much loaded in here. Then what we're trying to, to push back against a little bit is that we believe our Christianity is Jesus died on a cross just so someday I can go to heaven. If that is our sum told experience of Christianity, we're missing a lot. We're missing a lot. So let me recap. I always like doing this. Recap what we, when we talk about the way, there is so much that Jesus has done for us that should just so overwhelm us. But let me share where we've been so far. We started in week one saying Jesus is the way of light. And for those who believe in him, not only does he illuminate our path, he illuminates our heart and shows us truth, and that brings us new life. We started there. And in the second week, we talked about Jesus is the way to see God. And so Jesus, like, what we look at is when we believe in him, we actually see God. We see God personified that we can understand. So in Jesus, we see that. Third week, we said Jesus is the way for the kingdom of heaven to actually arrive here now. So much Christianity, so many people think that, man, one day I just want to go to heaven. And Jesus made the way that actually the kingdom of heaven is here now, partially. We're getting a foretaste all the time and, and a taste of who he is and in relationship with God now. We don't have to wait for our Christianity to happen when we die. And so that was really important too. And then last week we said Jesus is the way for the new promise, the new covenant. And when we believe in Jesus, what we're believing in is the promise that he not only restored our relationship, that one day he will come back. And that's the new covenant that we live with. The, 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 the new promise that Jesus says, I'm coming back and one day this will be fully restored. 
And so we should already be so overwhelmed. And yet we still got like three or four more sermons in this to go. And so where are we going today? Where are we going today? So we got a new place to go, but I always like just taking a moment and let's just pray for the Holy Spirit to take a hold of us because his presence is, the presence of God in Jesus is here because of him. And so let's give up our hearts together to listen to his word and be changed by it. Holy Spirit, we need you now. We, uh, we want to look at these words. These are challenging words today. But open our hearts to them. Open it to what Jesus is trying to tell us through the words here so we can hear it. But, but, Holy Spirit, we just ask that we don't walk out of here with our heads full of stuff and our hearts not changed. Your church is the plan A to redeem the world in the power of Christ. And so let us go out of here changed today in Holy Spirit so we give you our hearts. Moldable, malleable, scary as it is, take our hearts and change them. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So, to talk about what's either way about today, I thought one thing that's kind of interesting is how do you end your day? It's like when you're getting ready to go to bed, like the last thing you do is do you pray? Do you kind of reach out and recap your day at all when you're at bed at night? I do. Like I try to start my day in Him, fill my day as much, and I'm not perfect by any means, but at the end of the day, Kara knows that when my head gets five inches from a pillow, I'm gone. So I try to talk to him a little bit before that happens, but normally it is, it's me recapping the day. Jesus, how did, how did the day go? And how many times at the end of the day do we say this? I wish I could do it over. How many times at the end of the day when you're sitting there looking at God through Christ and you say, man, I wish I could do that day over? Can you notice me a little bit? Because there's a lot of days that I look at it and say, I wish I could have done that over. Lord, can I have a do-over? Can I have a do-over? You know, in golf, there are mulligans, right? For you non-golfers, that means you miss the ball completely. You get another swing, or if you jack it five fairways that way. <laughs> in basketball, I, I knew the rules. You know, you can get another free throw sometimes. If there's a violation, you can actually get another shot. Do you know in football you can replay a down? There's times where you can actually replay a down. But our struggle sometimes is we don't get a do-over today. And so this day is important. Today is important that we're starting here together. But there's one, there's a movie that came to mind, because you know me, I always think cheesy trivia in movies. And there's this movie that came to mind about a guy who got a do-over a lot. Why don't you watch this clip with me? Groundhog time. A thousand people freezing their butts off waiting to worship a rat. Weatherman Phil Connors is spending the day in Puxatawney, Pennsylvania. Phil? Mad! Man Ryerson, I did the whistling belly button trick at the high school talent show. Bing! Bing! But Phil's about to find out. He's not just stuck in Puxatawney. Will you be checking out today, Mr. Connors? Chance of departure today, 100%. He's stuck... In Groundhog Day. I'm reliving the same day over and over. Phil? Ned Ryerson? Do you ever have deja vu, Mrs. Lancaster? I don't think so, but I could check with the kitchen. Well, it's Groundhog Day. Again? At first, he was a little anxious. Bill? 
Will you be checking out today, Mr. Collins? I'd say the chance of departure is 80%. But now, we could do whatever we want. <laughs> He's discovering the possibilities. Don't you worry about cholesterol? Why? And living life mm. like there's Phil? no tomorrow. Phil Connors! Ned! Because there isn't. I am an immortal. I have been stabbed, shot, burned, frozen, electrocuted. I'm a god. You're a god. I'm a god. I'm not the god. He's out of his gourd. But to get what his heart wants most... What are you looking for, Phil? A date for the weekend? ...means living this day over again <laughs> till he gets it right. Believe it or not, I studied 19th century French poetry. <laughs> what a waste of time. <laughs> I studied 19th century French poetry. La fille qui j'aimera. You speak French. Oui. Yes! Life has a funny way of repeating itself. What did you do today? Oh, same old, same old. So in that movie, we see Phil, who's a narcissistic, self-centered weatherman. He finds himself living the same day over and over and over, which is Groundhog Day. And, and what happens is once he understands that, he starts living the any way he wants. And so he starts just being hedonistic and doing all these, like, I get, get this every day over and over and over, so he starts doing a bunch of really bad things. He goes crazy with the freedom that he has to the point where he says in there, and you heard it in the quote, he says, I'm a God, not the God, but a God. I get to control what I decide to do. But then something changes him in the middle of the movie. He falls in love. I thought, well, why do we show this movie? Because Hollywood tries all the time to try and explain something that we see biblically. And, and the same thing, we, Phil's story is not that far from ours. We get a new chance every day. We get a new chance every day to live. And sometimes we like being the God of our lives, right? And we're just like, I'm going to determine what's right or wrong. I'm just going to do these things. And at the end of the day, we're miserable. And we look at God and say, I want a do-over. But also, like in that story, the story of love can change us completely. Lene used a scripture today. She said, out of Lamentations 3, it says, Great is God's faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh every morning. We get Groundhog Day every day. A fresh start every day. Today, as we go in the Bible together, I, I have a message of hope that today can be amazing. Or if you already messed up today, well, let's talk about tomorrow. But I'm going to say not only can today be amazing, it can be perfect. It can be perfect. So let's look at the problem today. Brian, today is not, I mean, most of us hear that word perfect and we just shut down. Uh, let's look at the problem. Why every day do we need a mulligan? Why every day do a lot of times we say, I want to do over? Well, I think it's important we start here because we live under the curse of an Adam and Eve's first sin. Adam and Eve's first sin broke into the world, and our world is beautiful. It's God's creation, but it is broken with sin. It's broken with a lot of people wanting to be God and making decisions, and it's just painful, and it's so broken is our world, even as we as Christians will say, we live with this motto that I'm just a sinner, that I'm just a sinner I know my performance will not be perfect today, so I'm relegated to that. 
So perfect isn't the word I would use. So the problem with this, the problem with this is, is the world that we're born into, and the, the second problem is our focus, because our focus is based on performance. And I want to blow that up today. So our first sermon note, if you jump on the back here with me, our first sermon note gives us hope. Jesus lived a life that we couldn't live. This is where we got to start. If we're going to talk about, by the end of the day, I'm asking for a mulligan. First, let's start here. Jesus lived a life that we couldn't live. Our hope about today is not looking at the life that we're trying to live, but looking at the life that he lived. So let me take you to Romans 5, 18. I'm going to be a little all over the Bible because the whole Bible speaks to this today. So Romans 5, 18 and 19. So this paints our picture. Yes, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person, Adam, disobeyed God, many became sinners. There's that definition. But because one other, Jesus, person, obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Now we look at this, going back, Adam's one sin brought judgment and death to all of us. Adam's one time and either one time of just wanting to be God brought death, physical death and spiritual death to all of us. That one act, condemnation, judgment, pain, suffering, but the biggest thing is it broke our relationship with God. Not only do we experience physical death now, which did not exist, we experience spiritual death or separation from God because of that sin, that one act. But, you guys know it's my favorite word in the Bible, right? But, Christ's one act of righteousness, and it's talking about the cross. His one act of righteousness brought right relationship with God and new life for all of us. Not one day, now. But then it paints another picture. It goes right back after us again. It says, because one person disobeyed God, because Adam disobeyed him, many became sinners. That's where we get that definition. We're born into it. But because one other person obeyed God, because Jesus obeyed God, not once, not once, Jesus obeyed him his whole life. Because one man obeyed God with his whole life, Thousands and millions, maybe even billions, are made right with God. Jesus lived the life that we couldn't live. And it required perfection. So let's look at our next note together. Perfection was required for salvation. Jesus had to live a perfect life. Perfection was required for our salvation. For us to be made right with God, restored in relationship with him and have new life now, Jesus had to live a perfect life without one sin in his whole 33 years. We have trouble getting through the morning. And he went a whole life without one sin. 
So why is this important to us? Why is this important that he lived a perfect life? Well, we have to go back to the Old Testament and look at what the damage of what sin did in our relationship with God. So let's jump back here into the Old Testament in the book of Exodus chapter 12. And it's talking about Passover, during the feast of Passover, how families made themselves right with God. So here it is. It says, announce the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each family must choose a lamb or a young goat for a sacrifice, one animal for each household. The animal you select must be a one-year-old male, either a sheep or goat with no defects. In the Old Testament, when sin came, God made a way to get back in right relationship, and it took a blood sacrifice. During Passover, the family would make a sacrifice to forgive the sins of the family with a lamb that had no defects. Those last three words are really important. With no defects. A perfect lamb. Now let me jump you out of the Old Testament. Let's jump into the New Testament, First Peter 1, 18 and 19. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from Adam and your ancestors. And it wasn't paid with mere gold or silver, which loses value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Mm. To save us, God sent His Son to pay a ransom, a price, a penalty for the sin curse of our ancestors that we're all born into. And the price that Jesus would pay for that ransom was hefty. So hefty, ladies and gentlemen, all the gold and silver in the world weren't covered. His blood is what paid the price on a cross on Passover. The blood of a sinless, spotless lamb. If you go way back, you remember Jesus' early ministry, John the Baptist, his job, his one job was to pave the way for Jesus' coming, and he shouted. When, when Jesus was present, he was so excited, he shouted, behold, the Lamb of God. It's his first announcement of how they describe who he is. Behold the Lamb of God. John knew what he was coming to do. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus had to be a perfect sacrifice, no sin going to the cross. I was reading uh, Timothy Tennant. He's a theologian author. Every day he says we're talking, we look around us, and we struggle with the issue of justice. There's so much injustice in the world. We cry out no fair because our world is broken every day. We plead for justice in our world. We plead that wrongs will be made right, that truth and justice will prevail, but despite all of our justice systems, everything that we have, things are still imperfect here. Crimes still go unpunished. Innocent people sit on death row. Evil people prevail. Dictators run countries. Even in our own system, we get bogged down in government gridlock, partisanship, checks and balances, nothing moves. Add on top of that our own selfishness and sin, and you just throw a bunch more on the fire. 
And we live in a world that longs for justice, but we have no capability to realize it ourselves. None. We're limited. But God can. Because God is perfect in both his judgment and his mercy, the only way, the only way to perfectly balance both the cries of judgment and our need for mercy, because we're all guilty before God, is for God to take upon himself the judgment of sin. It's the only way we can fix it. So here's your third sermon note. The cross is where perfect justice meets perfect mercy. The cross is where God's perfect justice meets perfect mercy. While you and I were unable to live a life without sin, Jesus was our representative, and he lived a perfect life on our behalf, a life that is talked about in the Bible. The whole Old Testament points multiple times to a Messiah that's coming. He's going to do two things. God first is going to send him to rescue his people, and the second thing they believed is that he would bring a sufficient sacrifice, that this Messiah would come and bring a sufficient sacrifice for everybody. What they didn't know was that sacrifice was going to be him. Nobody expected that. We're going to talk about that next week. They were looking for a different Messiah. So I think it's important we land here. We're going to be talking a lot more about this as we go into these. The way of Jesus gets tougher and deeper as we go closer to Easter. But it's important to know He had to live a perfect life to be the perfect sacrifice before he went to the cross for us. But more than, more than a perfect life and being the perfect sacrifice for our sin, there's something more to this. Jesus made a way for us to live. Jesus gave us an example of how you and I are to live. More than just coming and doing this on the cross, he gave us an example of how we are to live. Jesus' obedience brings us to a status beyond I'm simply forgiven. And this is where Christianity struggles. As many times when I get to that point of believing in him and I'm justified and I'm saved by believing in him, I stop and I don't do anything else with my life. I'm good. I didn't pass, you know, don't go past, don't collect $200, don't go past go. Sorry, that was a bad analogy. So many people say, Jesus saved me, thank you, and they don't live a life any differently. They believe in what he did, but they didn't believe that that was just the start of the change in them. Jesus made a way for us to live. We no longer face God's eternal punishment because of our belief in Jesus, but yet we tend to, as Christians, labor under the guilt still, and it just immobilizes us in our lives. And we live in that sense of guilt. We end up 
at the end of our day, knowing that we didn't quite live up to being the people that we should have been, and we struggle praying at night about that, and we want a do-over. But ladies and gentlemen, Jesus not only came as a ransom for us, he came and removed our filthy clothes, and he gave us new clothes. This is important. He removed what was there, and he made us new. And we need to live like we're new. And this is where we struggle. We're not merely pardoned criminals. We are also beloved sons and daughters with whom God is well pleased because we're united to Christ. Let me show you a quote. This is from James Bryan Smith, no relation. Professor down at Friends University wrote this amazing book called Good and Beautiful God. I've taught it a few times, hanging out with the college kids. Young adults right now are going through this. But he said this. He says, when I hear a Christian say, I'm just a sinner, saved by grace, I want to say, that makes as much sense as a butterfly saying, I'm just a worm with wings. <laughs> this chapter is so beautiful because so many of us identify ourselves saved by Christ as just sinners. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And that is why every night I'm sitting there in front of Christ saying, I screwed up today because you know what? I'm just a sinner. We never realize the potential of what he did and who he wants us to be. When we define ourselves as sinners, we define our life based on performance. When I define myself as a sinner, I define my life based upon what I do that's right or wrong during the day, my performance. And when people believe I'm just a sinner, they live like that. They don't try to live a life of fullness that Christ expects of them and live a life like him. They just relegate to I'm a sinner. And, and I, I love sports quotes, you know this. And what I tell them is like Wayne Gretzky said, you're gonna miss 100% of the shots you don't take. And when I'm just a sinner, you're going to live a life that never takes a shot at being something else. 1 John 2, 6. Those who say they live in God should live their lives like Jesus did. This is a standard. It's not a sinner. What if there's a way to wake up and live the day the best way we can to live in the image of Christ that we've been given and to live like he did, I would argue that we can live perfectly. And people hate this word. What if living perfectly wasn't about performance and mistakes? Your fifth sermon note. We are called to live in perfect. Did I skip? Next one. <laughs> You're okay. We can go back and hit that one if you want. We are called to live in perfect love. Perfection in Christianity is not about performance, it's about relationship. Jesus gave us this great commandment. Most of us know it by heart. 
Here's his great commandment. Go out and don't sin today. It's not the great commandment, is it? What is it? Love God with your whole heart, soul, and mind, right? It's about, the great commandment's about relationship, not performance. Go and love God with your whole heart, soul, and mind. It's about relationship. My focus is my relationship with God because Jesus restored that to me with his death on the cross. John 17 is one of the most powerful chapters in the entire Gospel of John where Jesus is praying just hours before he goes to the cross. Let me show you the importance of this, living a life in perfect love. Jesus is praying here to his Father. He's saying, I'm praying not only for these disciples, the 11 that are still there, but also all those who will ever believe in me through their message. That's you, and that's me. I pray that they will all be, what's the word? One. Just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you've gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such, what's the word? Perfect unity. That the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Jesus says, when my church goes out, the world will know us by how they love, not by their performance. They will know how much they love you and how much I dwell in you and you dwell in me and we dwell together. It's relationship. This whole thing's about relationship. And they will experience such perfect love and unity as a body when they do this. If Jesus said we can do it, then why don't we believe it? As a father and a son are one, Father, bring us all together in perfect unity as a church. It's about relationship, not performance. But here's the important part, ladies and gentlemen. Our performance is important because he asks us to follow his laws and stay within these boundaries so we can be healthy towards him and healthy towards others. But we focus on performance. If we focus on relationship, our performance will get better. Let me give you the analogy of my wife. We've been married 30, this will be 35 years, right? I remember how we acted towards each other in our first year. Immaturity. Immaturity is not Karamai's performance. It's how much we love each other now after 34 years. My maturity is being perfect for her because I care about how it hurts our relationship. I'm not worried about the penalties and the law. I'm worried about what it does between me and her. The same way God gives us marriage and things like this and relationships to show his our relationship with him, it's not about performance. If I love him more and more every day, my performance will act like that. I don't want to screw up to hurt our relationship. So my focus is our relationship, not my performance. But my performance will get better the more I love him. But if we look at this and we stop here, we still do not have perfect love. Whoa, 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 whoa. what do you mean? If we stop here, we won't, we won't see the perfect love because there's a second part to the great commandment. Love God with everything you got. Love your neighbor with everything you got. To have perfect love, 
to have a perfect day, it starts with God because that's where we understand what perfect love is. And we become, as we are in perfect relationship with him, and, and I'm loving him every day so much I don't want to hurt him, it changes me, and that grace he pours out on me fills in me, but the last thing I want to be is a reservoir of that grace. If I want to be a river, it should flow out of me to others. And Jesus says, love God with all you got and love your neighbor. And he's talking about that neighbor you don't know and you don't love. So perfect love is going to come. So let me, let me show you this. Let me show you this. This is Matthew 5. Very words of Jesus. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be what? Perfect. Even as your Father in heaven is perfect. If you get your relationship with him right and it pours out of you to others, there's where you will find perfection. It's how you love. If we love those we don't know, if we love those we don't want to love, we'll get our relationships right and our performance will follow towards them. If we absorb the love of the Father and in relationship with Him through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, we're so overwhelmed that that will extend to others because we're giving them the same love I get from Him every day. Even when I'm messed up or I make mistakes, He's still loving me. And that gives me the attitude of how I can love others. So let me, let me give us this challenge. This is how you start your day. This is how we start our day. Start your day by waking up and praying up to heaven to the Father and His Son is seated right next to Him and the Holy Spirit's right there with you and say this, I'm gonna love you with all I got. I'm gonna love you in how I work today. I'm gonna love you in how I study. I'm gonna love you in how I love my kids. I'm gonna love you in how I drive down the street. I'm gonna love you how I serve in the military. And I'm gonna love my neighbor including that neighbor. I'm gonna love him too because that's how you love me. And we do that. We do that. And at the end of the day, when we put our head on the pillow and we look heavenward in prayer, we will want no mulligans. We'll look at him and say, that was a perfect day because I loved you and I loved others. That's a perfect day. In church, that's what he calls us to. So let's bow our heads and give them the best offering we got. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word. <laughs> Jesus, thank you for making the way that we can see this. Thank you that this life is not about our performance, it's about our relationship, and you restored that to God by your death on the cross. Now we are made right with God for those who believe and turn from that old stuff and start heading in a new direction. Father, help us live in relationship, for there we will begin to see our performance change. Teach us how to love you so immensely that we never want to do anything to hurt you. And then teach us how to love others like that too. And then you will see a church on fire. You'll see a church change in a community and change in a world. And we only can do this, Father, 
through the blood of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't do this on our own, but draw us into your love every day and let that love course through us to change the world. This church can do that. She's already doing it. So just get every one of us fired up about this. Let our offering be today is how can I love you today with everything I got? How can I love my neighbor like that too? Even the one I struggle with. And how can we, at the end of our day, smile at each other and say, that was a perfect day? We have that strength through the power of your spirit. Rise up your church, O oh Lord. Holy Spirit, we need you. And church, let's go out and change the world. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. When you leave today, your offering too is give him your best. Give him your best time, your best talent, your best treasure. You can drop your gifts off in the box. When you leave, fuel the mission of this church. Well, let's give him the best offering we have today.